Thank you. Good morning. It's nice to have to weather, wear a sweater this morning. It's kind of crazy. Just uh, days ago, Pat and I were coming off holidays, and we were driving back from Edmonton. We had been up to visit our daughter, and uh, we had the little sports car, and it's non-air-conditioned. It's got a top that goes down, but there's no air and we left Edmonton, it was about 15 degrees. We had the top up, it was got to Lloyd Minister, it was pretty near snowing, uh, it was kind of rainy and cool. Got to Saskatoon, it was warming up. Got to Keniston, it was kind of like, whoa. Got to Davidson, it was just like, oh. Got to Moose Jaw, it was 42.5. <laughs> we were dying in the thing, you know, like. But it uh, looks like the seasons have changed. Had kind of a funny visual on this morning driving in there was two combines still trying to work along the highway and one guy you could see he realized it's raining he lifted his table and he was heading for the yard and the other guy is still doing it you know there was no dust just a lot of smoke and uh, yeah the farmers are chipping away keep praying for the farmers it's a busy season for them they need to be safe when they get in the hurry up that's always important it's good to be here this morning, and thank you for all the good words, Steve. Thanks. Uh, um, I realized when I started this role as regional director that I'm actually stronger in the pastoral gift than I am in the leadership gift. And so for me to be a leader of leaders, it's a stretch for me, and I have to work at that. The other part of it is that I found the hard way that... As a pastoral person, and some of you know what I'm speaking of. If you're a pastoral, you're kind of soft-hearted and kind of weak in the mind. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I found that things that weren't healthy troubled me, and it bothered me. When I'd come to a church that wasn't doing well, and it was struggling in its, its life and its unity and its, uh, its mission, uh, and its leadership, whatever, it, it would kind of weigh heavy on my heart. And I found this... Coming into the spring and early summer, I, I felt that heaviness in my system, and I kind of got through conference and then kind of began to wind down a little bit in July and got some holidays and had that season of recovery. Um, but you need to know this, and this is not me sort of uh, schmoozing you. It's, it's the honest truth. I could in no way do what I'm doing now had I not lived here with you as your pastor for those three years. I could not. Because whenever I get to that point of just like, oh, I remember my experience here. And I realize the church is still it. It's still the plan of God. Uh, there is a better way. And there's better ways to do governance. There's better ways to work together. There's better ways to live without complaining, without fussing. Uh, thank you for the gift of the three years that I had with you. And I really mean that. That's not... And if you traveled with me and saw me here and there and everywhere, you would know I do speak about you. I use you as a living example. So aren't you special? <laughs> you are. Uh, keep being that. I'm, I'm so glad to see as this church sort of finds its way forward uh, with your pastoral leadership. Um, they are playing um, different roles now in helping ACOP. Uh, you've begun to realize that you have something very good to give away. You've got treasure within you, and it's great. I have to peek here and just see if I'm, okay, I can see it. Yep, 
Chris helped me this morning with some visuals. So uh, I'd like to pray with you, and then I'd like to share something from my heart with you this morning. I think it's meant to impact all of us in our relationship with God. I think it can be corrective. It can be affirming. Um, it can be kind of an awakening, uh, maybe a, a rekindling uh, as we begin to think through again how we uh, come to God. So let's come to God in prayer and then we will talk together about how we approach God. Lord, uh, we want to thank you this morning uh, for your presence here. Um, once again, I come back to my church when that's my, I'm part of this church family and when I can be here, it does me good. I thank you for the worship people that you've put in this church. And I thank you, Lord, that it, it isn't a performance. It's worship. And I thank you that we can participate in that worship and we can encounter you in that worship. I did that again this morning. And I say thank you. Thank you for reconnecting my heart. Thank you for uh, breathing life into me as we spent time as a family worshiping together. We, we bless you for that. And now, Lord, I pray that you would show us how we can move towards you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to be honest with you this morning, and I'm going to hold this book up, which you cannot see at that distance, but it's a simple little book. Um, uh, it's uh, written by a guy named Sky Jathani. It's simply called With. It was given out to us at our ACOP conference uh, of late, and I happened to pick it up. It sat on red for a while, and finally I pulled it off the shelf and began to read, and I realized there's something really amazing in this book. And so I want you to know this morning that my main points and, and much of what I've said I have gleaned out of this book, and I, I do that unashamedly because it's an amazing truth, and it's, uh, it's not a new truth, but it's a truth that we tend to lose as human beings. And uh, so there it is. If you want to catch me later and get another look at the book, if, you're, if you want to buy it online or, or whatever, uh, I would strongly encourage you to read it. I'm going to tell you it's not an easy read in the sense that it's kind of challenging because he's stepping all over some sacred cows as he does it. He's kind of stirring us to think through how we're doing our Christian life with God. So just done that, now I can move on. So just a couple things I want to say. It showed up in one of the songs we just sang. Um, and it's, it's part of the mystery of God that we don't really fully have understood, and that is this, this idea of the Trinity of God, or God as Trinity. But in, wherever you are on that journey, I'm not going to, it's not my point this morning, but just to know that when you read that carefully, we're going to read a verse out of the first part of John later, but when you read that, you understand that uh, the Father and the Son were with each other. It uses that very language. The Father was with the Son, and the Spirit was with the Father, and so on. There's this word with shows up. There's some kind of amazing togetherness that occurs. And uh, again, it's, it's one of those great mysteries. In the creation story, before the fall, and it, it, it actually, where we hear the language used, it's after the fall, but it, it's telling us what had gone on every day before that, 
And it says, in the cool of the day, God, the creator God, would come and be with Adam. And they would converse. Now, when you jump ahead to the Christmas story, the word Emmanuel is, is expressed to us. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Keep, keep that. Keep that in your heart. <clears throat> now, I want to show you <clears throat> Chris's brilliant artwork. Isn't that something? But they asked me at the back, did you want to give a microphone to Chris so he can banter back and forth with you while you're preaching? And I thought, that's probably not a good idea. Um, One of the most ancient concepts of man's approach to God is under God. Uh, It's so entrenched in our thinking We're all doing this. Now, it it goes back to the dawn of time, and it still exists today, but it it took a hit a few years years back now, quite a few years back now. I'll talk about that in a moment. But um, legalistic, fundamentalist Christianity is under God. Islam... And folks, I'm not speaking critically, so don't don't hear that. Just hear what I'm saying. Islam, the system of Islam is under God. Judaism, in its ancient and even in some senses its modern form, is under God. And the many global pagan religions that we can name, Hinduism and so on, they are under God. To explain that, uh, I'm going to use a verse in John chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. It shows, the, it shows a mindset. Now, we're talking about how we approach God and how we relate to God. And, and as they're coming along, as he went along, Jesus, there was a man born blind. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, his parents or him? Now, that shows you thinking, mindset. In other words, we get from God depending on how we behave. If somebody sinned, they're going to get sick. Something bad's going to happen to them. Uh, That's the negative side. The other side is if you live right, you'll be blessed. You say, well, pastor, that's, yeah, I know. But some of us start to derail with that. It becomes a performance-driven life experience. If I live right, I will be blessed. Um, If I tithe, I can gain riches. It's filled with fear and it's filled with pride or both. Um, Things like offerings, prayers, sacrifice, behavior, uh, rule-keeping, religious rituals. And sometimes, as evangelicals, we get kind of smug in all this, and then 
I, I was out with a bunch of people and I'd shared this message in their church and we're having lunch together after, after and they said, well, okay, who's going to ask the blessing? Because we couldn't touch our plates until somebody had prayed, right? You know, there's a certain shame you get if you forget and start tucking into your mashed potatoes or something. Oh, oh, we've got to pray first. I would call that a ritual. Now, is it a wrong thing to do? No, I don't think it's a wrong thing to do. How many of us as little kids grew up with the idea that if we didn't ask the blessing, we'd probably going to get a stomach ache later or something? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's ritual. You've got to keep the ritual. Even some of the things we do in our service, there's a certain ritual to it. Even the areas of morality, behavior, you say, well, aren't we supposed to behave? Yes, we are. But why we should is the trick. If we do this to approach God, we are under God. The strange thing about this is this legalism that we live under when we place ourselves under God. Like you just think of nations that have become dominated by the faith that I've spoken of, whether it's evangelical Christianity or Islam or Judaism, they become, in a sense, bullies in the culture. And they, many rules show up of what you can and cannot do. And you must live according to the rules. And in some parts of the world, the, the penalty for breaking the rule could be violent death or injury. We're under God. We must keep the rules. But here's the really strange twist in this. It's actually an attempt to control God. What? If I do the rituals, God must come through. I control the situation. The author talks in the book about danger, chaos, and fear being a part of the world story, part of a lot of people's existence. And so our desire is to control the situation. How do we control a situation? We do the ritual. We keep the rules. Because if we do that, he must perform. We're controlling our world. But the thing is, it actually produces a ton of fear, and it has nothing to do with the relationship. You just think in your human story, can you have a relationship with the person if you lived your life under them, always having to tick off the boxes to stay in a relationship? Why would it be different with God? We, we are legalistic to the core. If you leave us unattended, we, re we revert back to legalistic thinking. We'll say more. Okay, the next one is over God. Now, back in the, they say it probably about the 1600s is where this started to shift as, as uh, the age of enlightenment began to show up and mankind began to learn and to collect his knowledge into written form. The knowledge base grew. People were thinking more. And what happened was that the, the, the worldview that God was at the center of it all was actually pushed aside, and in some cases it ended up being left with there being no God at all. Uh, further on down the human story, as the, as the theories of evolution began to find their, their, their acceptance, God was pushed out of the situation. Man took a position of being 
over God. So we've come from this, which can be harsh and challenging. So for some, they were so frustrated, I think, with this, that this was an enlightenment. Wait a minute, we're smart. We know what's going on. We've got it figured out. We will be above God. We'll come crawl out from underneath him and put ourselves above him, and we will be over God. Now, there's, there's several parts to this. In some people's thinking, like I said, atheism became the idea that there is no God at all. It's all just a bunch of fable. Story will just discard it all and throw it away. But for many people, even to this day, it's interesting. Atheism is probably not the dominant worldview in our culture. Even though it's secular and kind of lost its way in some ways, we are probably more like a deist. Yeah, there's a God. I don't know who he is. I don't know what he looks like. Maybe there was even a creator. But he's created and left. He's gone now, and he's really not that much involved. And I find even in the Christian domain, many of us as evangelicals even live our life like a deist. There can be days go by when I don't even recognize the existence of God. I've removed him from the center of my life to somewhere out on the perimeter. I've put myself over God. The atheist removes God completely. The Christian deist has no place for God in his day-by-day -day existence. The atheist lives by natural laws. Now, I'm going to get close to home here, so pastoral staff and congregation, don't get mad at me. So in the atheist, he's, he's written natural law. There's laws that order my existence. There's natural order. I must live according to that. Modern Christianity has actually put a relationship with God in many ways to the sideline, and we now live by Christian principles. You know, do the principles, obey the teachings, the Christian teachings, and you're good. And okay, here's a visual. In our dear neighbor to the south, there is a cultural war going on that is turn your stranger by the day. And mark my word, one of, the, one of the pieces of collateral damage in this cultural war is going to be evangelical Christianity. Because there's the right and the left, it's political, and if you're an evangelical Christian, it seems like you've got to land on the, on the right and support a certain candidacy. And in our, in our thinking with this, again, this is where we start stepping on sacred cows, there's a big movement in the States. In fact, Pat and I travel in the States all the time in our holidays. We love American people. We love being out in their culture. We still find that their gas, food, and motels are much cheaper than Canadian ones. So we travel down there lots love Montana and Wyoming and South Dakota and North Dakota and Washington and Idaho and Oregon. But you'll see in places, you can see where the push and shove is going on. There are certain businesses have pasted up for all to see the Ten Commandments. Listen, our message is not the Ten Commandments. 
Our message is Jesus. I'm not going to save my culture by splattering the Ten Commandments around on every building in town. The only hope of this culture will come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only way that, that isn't going to be stuck up on a billboard. This is the billboard. My heart, your heart, my attitude in life, my behavior towards others, my kindness, my love, my forgiveness, my tenderness, my good deeds where I serve and help others. That's the billboard. Not on the side of a building. To think that we're going to save our cultures by insisting we have God, in God we trust and Ten Commandments and whatever, paste it up. I, I get where they're coming from, but that's not it. That, that also is a life over God. Because here's the thing. If we spout off certain principles, then God must perform. Um story of Moses, I'm not going to read it, but Moses was challenged when the, they were in the desert and they're, they're needing water. Uh, he was told to, to strike the rock and water would come out. And he did, and water came out, and the people were saved because they were given water. So in modern evangelical Christianity, we often write, that's a principle. If you're dying of thirst, hit a rock. Work for him. So the thinking is, if I hit the rock, God must make water come out. So hit the rock. Later on, God says to Moses, same situation, needing water. He says, listen, speak to the rock. What does Moses do? He hits it. Twice. Why? He's mad. He's desperate. I need water. Bam! Bam! And God, in his kindness, lets water come out. But God said to him, listen... I'll paraphrase and write a new version of Scripture. Because you've reduced me to a principle, you weren't obedient in your heart, you will never get to lead your people into your land, into the land I'm giving them. I hear so much preaching that's just principle. Obey these principles and God will do this and do that. And we've reduced it out of a relationship to a situation where once again I control God by saying, okay, you said, God, that da, 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 so therefore I'm saying those things to you. I'm praying that way. I'm doing that concept. Therefore, come on through. You don't control God. That's not a way to approach God. That's not a relationship. That's you over God, I take a position above. And again, I'm trying to control my world, the danger, chaos, and fear. I'm trying to get control. And God says, listen, it's a relationship. It's not about your control. We have a relationship with biblical principles, not with the guy who wrote the book. He's not a guy. He's a God. He is God. Christian principles, Christian teaching, Christian schools, Christian nation. I get all those things. I understand why they're said. I know what they mean. I'm not saying they're negative. But sometimes it becomes a principle-driven system. 
our system is a relationship. If the relationship is not active, you will be struggling. You will be fading because we live in a relationship. We don't live according to principles. We have God figured out. Uh, we, we will use principles that are effective. We place ourselves over God. Many church leaders feel their mission in life is to present, to teach Christian principles. I get the place for teaching Christian, Christian principles, but folks, we need a relationship. We need to stir people to deeper relationship. This morning as we worshiped, I kind of slipped away. <laughs> and I was caught again as, she, as we were being led into worship. I was caught again with the wonder that Almighty God would save a wretch like me. That you would leave the 90 and 9 and come looking from hill. You would climb a hill to find me. You would, you would do all those things to come looking for me. I know what I am. Do you know who you are? I know who I am. I'm a wretched lost man without God. I need a relationship with him. And so in our services and in our teaching and our ministries, we need to be drawing people into relationship and sometimes we have to do that by, by demonstrating our relationship. I, see, I travel lots and see lots of churches, and I see some who speak here and there and everywhere who can speak great principles, but they show you nothing of their heart. People need a relationship. They need a closeness with God. Now, carrying on once again with the wonder of modern technology... PowerPoint number three. What are you laughing at? When you're old, you think you're being cutting edge when you, when you roll a flip chart over. Where's the overhead projector? <laughs> what is that? You know. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6 to 14, let me just read some of this with you. It says, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates and olive oil and honey, and a land where bread will not be scarce. Honey, have you noticed that bread is biblical? Uh, my wife is trying to get me to leave carbs behind but I it's in the Bible honey and I think that I should still have toast at night because it says where the bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing uh, you will lack nothing and a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills when you've eaten and, and are satisfied praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God a life from God so we're, we're moved past this. This is another slant on how people do their life with God. They see him as either a, a genie in a bottle or a divine therapist. Give me stuff and make me happy. And I'm good. And that's the, that's the, 
the punchline of my Christian journey is that I'm, I'm surrounded with lots of stuff and money and I've got good things and that I'm happy. I must be happy. North America has got a happiness insanity going on right now. And the crazy part is, the more it's been pursued, the more unhappy we become. And some, you, you go to some parts of the world where they literally have nothing. And their joyfulness and the happiness. I mean, I was in the Philippines when Dave was missionary work, doing missionary work there. And they're just as happy there as they are in Tim Hortons. They are the most amazing people. They just have this joyfulness. And, th- and many of them, high percentage of those dear folks, love Jesus Christ. You talk to them. And they love Jesus. They do. It's not a matter of what they get from God. Don't, I don't have to have all my problems fixed and all my desires satisfied. Economics, consumerism, materialism of this world are, is deeply ingrained in the minds of those of us in the church. Right now, in the, again, I keep referring to our, the, our neighbor to the south because we don't have any news in Canada. Nothing's happening. Our forests are all burning to the ground. Other than that, we're pretty boring. If you want to find something kind of entertaining, watch CNN or Fox. And get one on, if you have two TVs, get them side by side. It's just like, oh, oh you know. You know. Anyway, you're going to hear down there this phrase, consumer confidence. Is at a high level. What does that mean? It means that the people have gone nuts and they're all buying cheap junk at Walmart. That's consumer confidence. Crazy. Now, I'm going to read a statement by Joyce Meyer, and I just want you to know this is not done to be sarcastic or clever or smart or make her look bad. It just shows you that the thinking is deeply ingrained in all of us, even some of our best leaders. Okay, we have a North American sickness, and it creeps into all of us. Let me just read. This is her quote. Who would want to get in on something where you were miserable, poor, broke, and ugly? And you just muddle through until you get to heaven. I believe he wants us to have nice things. Now, I'm not, that has come out of my mouth. I am sure it has. And maybe even many of us in this room. We see the blessing of God and we we begin to bend it into an approach to God. And we kind of come like this. I find, I, I, I still do this in my devotions now, in my, I do my reading and then I do my devotions, and in my devotions, part of my rhythm is to say the Lord's Prayer, which I've done, you knew that, I've, said, I've done that for years, every day, the Lord's Prayer, and then I, I spend some time praying in tongues because I find in private, sometimes that private intercession from my, my prayer language, praying in the Spirit, where no one else is hearing me, I find that is really beneficial in my life. But in the Lord's Prayer, I'm so self-conscious about this when I come to give us this daily bread, give us this day our daily bread, I I actually rewrite it and I say, what I mean, God, is like I'm, I'm just dependent on you. I'm not demanding. I just need daily bread. I don't need riches. I don't need all this stuff. 
I just want my daily bread. God help us. We've taken on a narcissistic worldview that puts us at the center. He's my supplier. He is. But don't treat him like that. Don't make that the basis of your relationship. We want something deeper. Now, this is, this is uh, seen in most evangelical Pentecostal circles as being noble. In fact, I have preached this. We are pushing our people to um, don't be takers, be givers. Life for God. Find a, a justice cause and get in the game. We heard a plea this morning for workers for the various ministries of the church. That is just as it should be. But listen, even folks, this, this is not a way to approach God. Doing stuff for God is not why he saved me. He saved me, wonder of wonders, because he wants to be with me. We're going to get there in a few moments. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 to 10, and he's kind of... Paul obviously had some issues with some churches, and he was writing some funny stuff sometimes, trying to battle with them. And he says, uh, For it is we who are of the circumcision, we the Jews, who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Isn't that interesting? If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he starts to list, I was circumcised on the right day and on and on and on. He said, I did all these things. I did all this stuff for God. And listen, when we talked about some of the global world religions, some of the behaviors that we see, some of the violence that we see, they're doing it for God. And we can be critical and say, oh, what's wrong with those people? Listen. We do stuff for God. We're not killing today as Christians, but we have. We have killed those who didn't agree with our point of view. I was part of the Brethren in Christ movement for many years. The Anabaptists of Europe were killed because they wouldn't fight for the king. They wouldn't go to war for the king because they felt the teachings of Christ taught them not to kill another person. So they wouldn't join the army and fight for the king. They were killed. In World War I, Brethren in Christ people were rounded up in Ontario and put in prison. And sometimes for, for weeks at a time, every day they were marched into the courtyard, blindfolded and stood in front of a firing squad, ready, aim, fire, click, and put back in their cells. And they did it again, same thing the next day. That's in Canada. We do do bullying things sometimes in the name of God and country. So doing stuff for God can at times be dangerous. If you read the story of what Paul did, the things that he accomplished and the, and the price that he paid, it is truly phenomenal. But if I may read on into that verse, he goes on down, he said, I'll pick it up in uh, verse uh, 
8. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness, righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in sufferings and become like him even in his death. Paul said, listen, I've done all this stuff as a Jew and as a Christian. I've got a long list of things that I've accomplished. I got quite the resume. But you know what? What I've done for God means little. I want to know him. And some of us in this room, you, you are basing your, your Christian journey stuff on what you're accomplishing for God. And many of us as pastors have gotten caught in this, in this game where we're trying to do the performance and, and, and you know, do it right and do a good job. And it's all, that's all good. But listen, we, we think this is selfish and horrible and we think somehow this is noble. This can be just as legalistic and just as misguided as that. We're trying to do stuff for God. I have real value when I've accomplished much. We've replaced relational with missional. I believe in a missional church, but that can only be a success when the people in the church have a profound relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the real game. Matthew 7, he writes, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Listen, there is a push right now for the supernatural in the evangelical Pentecostal church. Fair enough. But it's not about performance. He said, I never knew you. Wouldn't that be something? To do all this stuff and then have God say, I, but I don't know you. You didn't spend time with me. We never talked. Again, in our world, the danger, the chaos, the ugliness, going without, we try to get stuff from God and then we try to perform to get God to love us. Um, all these systems become a terrible treadmill. And now I get to draw. And you will see why he did it. <laughs> With God. Better do it over here for the other part of the audience. To be with God. To stop the treadmill stuff. It really is like a treadmill. I ran a marathon back in 2004. I uh, ran 27 miles. Went right to the hospital afterward. But, uh. <laughs> you can ask my wife. I was, I'd stopped long enough to get the lactate acid settling into my legs. I couldn't even hardly walk. It was brutal, but I ran 27 miles. But I ran 20 miles in training that winter before on a treadmill. You want to talk about boring? Do you know how long it takes to run 20 miles on a treadmill? Too long. 
There's not enough daytime television to keep you entertained for... <laughs> I had oranges, apples, and I had a little TV right in front of me. I was just like, make it stop. I just wanted to stop it. A lot of people, that's their Christian life. It's a treadmill. Some of you this morning, I, was, I should ask you when, you were, when I was putting this stuff up, if you were going to go up and put your initials, do you see your name on some of these sheets of paper? Is that you? Is that identified with you? Are you a from God person, for God person? Are you under God trying to keep the rules and tick off the boxes? Are you over God trying to control your world, living by principles? Is that you? Emmanuel. God with us. John 1, verses 1 and 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Revelation 21, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, this is the end of days, folks. This is what this is reading about. This is the end of it all. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will be with them. And they will be his people and he himself will be with them and be their God. It takes a surrender to be with God. We have to stop and be still to be with God. And I just want to say this morning, perhaps there's some of us here that you would, if you're really, really honest, and this can be privately honest, I'm not asking for any kind of display, but in, in the private honesty of your heart, you would, you would say, my relationship with God is not really satisfying. I'm not, I'm not feeling really fulfilled. Oh, I'm going to keep doing it because that's what I do, and I'm not about to quit on the whole thing and walk away from God, or, but if I'm honest... I'm tired in it. Would you just hear this morning that he, this amazing creator being, wants to be with you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. And just let that soak in. He wants to be with you. I'm going to ask them to lead us through a course once and then we're going to come back and pray. But Surrender this morning. Stop working. Stop trying. Stop trying to control. Stop trying to control your world. Stop trying to order your circumstances. Folks, if you'd lead us and then we will, we will close in prayer. Would you stand and sing with us, please? Give life, you 
facing some really challenging circumstances in health, family, finances, whatever. I know that. That's just life. And we think that we have to fix our circumstances, so we're trying to do that with our faith. But we're just going to pause on that and just say, Lord, above it all, through it all, in it all, I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. us this morning there's going to be teams always come up here to pray and if you want someone to pray with you about this or something else I'm sure they'll do that I'm kind of doing the pastor's job this morning you don't need him anymore I'll come back uh, no. but there's going to be people here I'll, I'll wait up here for a bit too if you want to pray with somebody I'd be glad to do that um, if you're not doing anything tonight there's a beautiful placement service happening in Assiniboia a new pastor a couple going in there Pastor Steve is going to be part of the ministry tonight down there and uh, if you want to jump in your car and come on down that would be blessing that church and that new pastoral couple David and Vanessa Mayer who are 
just starting. Uh, well, they've been there for a while, but this is sort of their kickoff point. Great little community, great church, and uh, you know your involvement as a church in their lives is important as well. So, uh, yeah, we'll just turn it back to the worship team. If you want to just, before you go home, just have that moment where you pray about it. You can come on your own and just pray, but just say, Lord, you and I, we need to connect again better. I'm going to do it where you are before you go. It's all good. So bless you. Anything else you want to say, Pastor? Got it all? Bless you, folks. Sing in all the earth. <laughs>